Hello, my name's Christiana, and welcome to the Oceanside Community Church Podcast. We're a church in Parksville on Vancouver Island with a vision to be fully devoted children of God, fully mature in Jesus Christ, and fully alive with the Holy Spirit. We welcome you to join us weekly on this journey. For more information about our church, visit our website at oceansidecommunitychurch.ca or download our mobile app. We pray that you'll be blessed and equipped by today's teaching. Excited to uh, talk about the impact of Keith's life and uh, so much you've already felt and heard. But, you know, perhaps no one had a greater impact on the Christian music world in the 20th century than Keith Green. And from his uh, debut Christian album in 1977 until his uh, tragic death uh, at the age of just 28 in a plane crash, Keith did more for the Christian music industry in those five years than most do in their lifetime. And despite his very uh, brief career, his albums have sold over two million copies and have remained uh, popular after all these years. Keith died the same year I was born, uh, 1982. And yet after I became a Christian, nearly 20 years after his death, I was eventually exposed to his music and started listening to it, and so did some of my uh, newly saved friends. And uh, we would listen to his songs together. Uh, we would laugh, maybe even cringe a little bit as, at his goofiness. We spoke seriously about his intense messages. Uh, we read his writings and his biography by his wife, Melody, was maybe uh, the first Christian biography, I think, that I ever read. And by the way, uh, Melody uh, probably deserves her own biography message um, in terms of her influence and how she has remained in ministry over the last 40 years and and also wrote some of the songs, including the song we'll sing at the end. But these three things had a major impact on my life. Uh, Here's the original CD box set that I bought uh, back in the day after I became a believer. Uh, This biography uh, here, which is uh, pretty long but just incredible, and there is a copy in the library in the biography section, so uh, 9 a.m., you got the advantage, Uh, you can do that. Uh, Also willing to uh, sign out my own copy as well, and then uh, his documentary as well. And these three items had a major impact on my life and will uh, inspire you more than what I can say or cover this morning if you uh, use them. Many Christians may be familiar with Keith's powerful music, but few know uh, kind of the story behind the man that caused such inspiring and memorable songs to be written. So like any uh, kind of good testimony, this morning we'll break Keith's life into uh, three sections before Christ, his conversion experience, and then after Christ, mostly focusing on that third part and his uh, impact and enduring legacy and how we can be challenged by his life. So let's start with before Christ, and this is the period of life I would call a a searching stoner. Uh, Keith was born in 1953 into uh, a family uh, heavily involved in the music and entertainment business, and it was undeniable at an early age that Keith was just born for the spotlight. Uh, By the age of two, he was in television commercials already. Uh, He had already begun to experiment with several instruments. 
uh, Keith's parents moved him to Southern California to kind of try to get him on the inside of the music and entertainment industry. And by the age of 11, Keith had already written over 40 original songs on the piano, and he became the youngest member ever at the time of the American Society of Composers, Authors, and Publishers. Uh, He was featured in Time Magazine at the age of 13. And Keith wanted nothing more than to make it big in the music business. But his dreams would never come to pass, at least not the way he had planned. For several reasons, Keith never became the teenage star that so many envisioned. A lot of people thought he would be, you know, the Justin Bieber of the day. His disappointment and intense desire to still make it as a performer, it led him down uh, a searching road, searching for fulfillment and spiritual truth. And at the age of uh, 15, Keith, who was uh, ethnically uh, Jewish, but was raised in the Christian science religion, uh, he ran away from home during the peak of the hippie movements and the drug culture of the 60s. And he went on a spiritual search where he experimented with Eastern religion and mysticism, philosophy, consulted spiritual gurus, both living and dead, astrology, self-hypnosis, tarot cards, recreational sex, and lots and lots of drug trips. And in early 1973, Keith met Melody, uh, a Jewish girl who was on the same search for spiritual truth, and she was a musician and songwriter herself, and they were married on Christmas Day that year. And just before meeting Melody, uh, Keith was, in her description, uh, started looking into Jesus, who had been at the bottom of Keith's list of possible truths for years. And for the next couple years, you know, Keith, he considered himself a follower of Jesus, and studied his teachings, and therefore he actually called himself a Christian, but mostly because he just really liked Jesus. He respected him, he thought he was like a pretty cool guy, a good teacher, but Keith could not believe the foundational Christian teaching that Jesus was God, and that Jesus was the only way. And this idea was a stumbling block for Keith for for many years. He anguished over it, and Keith's frustration and confusion is expressed in his journal entry from July 1974, where he writes, still stoned, God, there is no one to talk to about how I feel. You kind of hear his hippie language here. I love the Christ always, and Jesus, and all the words and works, but there's no confused Christians like me. I love the goal so thoroughly that I'd give up anything to attain it if I were sure about the path. Ah, my heart, it wants to break for the truth. So how is it that this skeptic and searching stoner became one of the surest born-again believers and most influential Christians of the 20th century? Well, let's talk about his conversion, and uh, better yet, you already heard it through song, but let's hear Keith talk about his conversion and how he finally submitted his life to Jesus as Lord. In reading your biographical sketch, you'd gone through the, you're a child of the 60s, eh? 
in in some ways. Yes. And you've and the early seventies. Yeah. yeah. And you've done you've done all the you've done all the uh, experimentation, whether it's the uh, the mind trip, uh, the, mm -hmm. the chemical trip, and mm -hmm. so forth. At what point in your in your relationship with Christ did you did it all of a sudden occur to you? that it wasn't the same as the other trips. In 1973, I started praying to Jesus. In 1975, I was born again. I, I, was, I went to an experience called the Baptism of the Holy Spirit and in May of 1975. Uh, was baptized in water in June and got into fellowship right there. And, and since then, it's been, you know, so gun hope. But, but for two years, it was just a trip. I was just, a, Jesus was another guru. Yes. You know, I was reading Bibles and uh, praying, but uh, I wasn't born again. Mm -hmm. I didn't what made the difference? What was that crucial moment of being born again? Accepting Jesus Christ as God and accepting the Bible as literally word for word. You, you mean prior it, to that time he was a guru? He, a guru. He, he was a master. He, he was wasn't a God in the flesh. Emmanuel, God oh, no. with us. No, that was see in Christian Science where I was brought up to say that Jesus was God was blasphemy. Uh, they made a very heavy emphasis on that. That Jesus was God. That was the main stumbling block to me. And I remember one day in the summer of 75, walking down the street and looking up and going, all right, Jesus, I buy it. You're God. And everything snapped. Bang. Just like that. Just like that. You knew that was it. You were born again. Oh, yeah. So once, once Keith finally found that spiritual truth that he was looking for and fully surrendered to Jesus as Lord, he would never look back. God's love had finally broken through, and people who are around him describe his conversion as one of the most radical conversions they had ever seen. So let's talk about After Christ, the ministry of Keith Green. Uh, immediately, Keith became known as some sort of uh, radical. He and Melody began to tell everyone they came into contact with about Jesus, and they began to take people in off the street who needed uh, rehabilitated. And Keith, you know, he always did things all or nothing. And Christianity and his music ministry was no exception. And so I want to talk about his ministry and also what we can learn by exploring uh, what I've categorized as kind of the five features that made his life and ministry so powerful and effective and enduring. Uh, the first three are that his ministry uh, was scripture-centered, Jesus-centered, and other-centered. And then the last two are his all-or-nothing attitude, and then lastly, his integrity and humility. So the five features of Keith Green's ministry, let's start with scripture-centered, that Keith was, you know, steeped in the scriptures. He read them like crazy after his conversion. And his music reflected that. And he's, you know, really credited as one of the first contemporary Christian musicians to have some scriptural and theological depth to his songs and music. He often formed his lyrics or song ideas straight from scripture. And those are some of my uh, favorite songs, such as The Prodigal Son Suite or uh, On the Road to Jericho, which is about the prodigal son, or the sheep and the goats from Matthew 25, the Lord is my shepherd, which is Psalm 23, uh, one song simply called Romans 7, and of course, created me a clean heart from Psalm 51. So being scripture-centered, centered, of course, uh, cause green to uh, naturally be, you would hope, uh, Jesus-centered from being in the scriptures. 
So you'll notice one of the five features I've chosen is not uh, music-centered. Keith said music was the least important part of his life. Glorifying Jesus was the most important goal. And because of that attitude, it's not a stretch to say that Keith may have actually had a bigger impact on Christianity in general than he did on the Christian music world. He once said, quote, I repent ever having recorded one single song and ever having performed one concert if my music, and more importantly, my life, has not provoked you to sell out more completely to Jesus. As his wife Melody would later say, he considered himself a minister first. Music was just a tool for him. His goal was not to perform, it was to transform lives. Keith never wanted to be remembered as an artist or musician, but simply as a Christian, a radical follower of Jesus. And he mentioned this over and over again. He once warned fans at a music festival that if they are more excited about the music than they are about Jesus, then it's sin. Keith spent whole nights in prayer, just searching the heart of Jesus. He would pray for what he considered to be the poor condition of the church, and he prayed for God's power and anointing to move through his concerts, and it was not uncommon for much of the people to be found on their faces weeping in repentance before Jesus at Keith's concerts. And as a result of being scripture-centered and Jesus-centered, Keith was compelled to be others-centered. Keith's non-music ministry, which was just as significant, was mostly focused on taking people in who had nowhere else to turn and helping them. Keith and eventually a staff at his uh, ministry called Last Days Ministry would counsel and disciple all the new converts they could take in. Uh, at the very beginning, they had as many as 14 people living with them in their three-bedroom house with one bathroom. Within a year, the ministry had expanded to 70 new converts and street people who lived in seven homes in their neighborhood that the Greens had rented or bought for the purpose of helping more people, including many single women and addicts and just people who needed a place to belong. What a challenge, right, in a world where we spend most of our extra space and disposable income on our own selves or places, or spaces. The Greens used it entirely for others. They would eventually move their ministries to a large ranch in Texas to be able to uh, accommodate more people and their discipleship ministries. And Keith was essentially uh, a pastor to the constant flow of people who were living in their homes and in their spaces. And then Keith also wrote a lot of songs about reaching out to others, which I think came from his life experience, challenging and convicting songs like A Billion Starving People, Open Your Eyes, Jesus Commands Us to Go, and Go to the Hungry Ones, all fall under this category. And here's a, a clip from one of those songs uh, called Asleep in the Light.
do you see all the people sinking down don't you care don't you care are you gonna let them drown how can you be so numb not to care if they come you close your eyes and pretend the job's done oh bless me lord bless me lord you know it's all i ever hear no one aches no one hurts no one even sheds one tear but he cries he weeps he bleeds and he cares for your needs and you just lay back and keep soaking it in oh can't you see it's such sin because he brings people to your door and you turn them away as you smile and say god bless you be at peace and all heaven just weeps because jesus came to your door you've left him out on the streets Don't hear a lot of that on Christian radio these days, this music. But this song represents the fourth feature of Keith's ministry, which is just this all-or-nothing attitude. It was this all-or-nothing attitude that made Keith just so challenging in the best of ways, and also at times controversial and abrasive, uh, and at times probably in the wrong but Keith was anything but seeker-friendly. At one music festival concert, he started the concert by telling the people, if you didn't come to hear Jesus speak to you, go home. <laughs> not really good self-promotion, uh, and probably not that compassionate towards uh, seekers. But Keith considered one of his main purposes in songwriting to convict and to challenge those Christians who are compromising, apathetic, or living comfortably. He was very passionate about this topic, uh, for he felt, and, and listen to this, he felt that he would have met Jesus sooner if he did not know so many Christians who led double lives. And I find that so challenging, right? If, if your neighbor knows you're a Christian but sees you getting ready to go golfing every Sunday morning or packing up for the beach, or just living like the rest of the world with no apparent difference, how will they take Jesus seriously? And what Keith would often imply is that you're sort of doing more damage than good to the name of Jesus and Christianity by teaching people that being a Christian isn't really that big of a deal. Just something you kind of pay attention to or do when it's convenient or you feel like it, but has no claim on your life. He once commented that this country is full of unsaved Christians, he put it in quotes. And what I think he meant is that many wear the label of, of Christian. They confess Jesus as Lord, but very few are interested in being disciples, actually doing what Jesus said to do. He titled his uh, second album, No Compromise, and directed it straight at Christians living in complacency. 
uh, in the song, To Obey is Better Than Sacrifice from that album, he takes on the voice of Jesus say, saying, and I hear you say I'm coming back soon, meaning you confess the right things, but you act like I'll never return. And then the later very controversial, probably biblically inaccurate line, because if you can't come to me every day, then don't bother coming at all. And then he goes, la da 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 as if he like just didn't say that extremely uh, harsh line there. He said to a concert once, do you know the rich young ruler would be accepted in any church today? But Jesus wouldn't accept him. Why? Because he had an idol in his life. Keith knew that with Jesus, it was really all or nothing. There's no other way to interpret Jesus' teaching. And so he told people the only way to come to Jesus and to understand him was in full surrender, which is the message of this uh, short clip from the song, Soften Your Heart. So many times I've tried to tell you, but I don't think you've been listening. There's nothing I want to try and sell you, because his love is free. You're so proud of saying you're a seeker, but why are you searching in the dark? You won't learn a thing until you soften your heart. It's been fun watching all these videos this week. Keith's all-or-nothing message was incredibly challenging. But one of the reasons people actually listened to what Keith said is because he practiced what he preached. He once said, quote, The only music minister to whom the Lord will say, Well done, thy good and faithful servant, is the one whose life proves what their lyrics are saying. Which takes us to our last feature, which is, Keith's integrity and humility. So yeah, Keith called out people's materialism, their wealth and comfortable lifestyle, and if you're a scripture-centered, Jesus-centered, other-centered Christian, you really can't avoid that, but he did back it up. He said accurately that he could be very rich if he wanted to. I mean, he was wildly, wildly popular, selling hundreds of thousands of albums in a day where there were no Christian had ever done that before, achieved that kind of success, selling out shows everywhere, and yet he spoke out constantly against selling the gospel, and despite his tremendous commercial success on a record label, by his third album, he no longer released his recordings through a record label or sold them in bookstores, and instead he just took them to his concerts, and he had whatever, a whatever they could afford policy, even if that was nothing to receive his albums. Here's the promotion for his third album. He says, would you like to buy Keith Green's new album so you want to go back to Egypt? You can't. It's not for sale at any price. <laughs> That's how he advertised it. He also rarely charged for his concerts, either from people attending or from the churches that were bringing him in. He once said, quote, the ticket prices for concerts are a nail in Jesus' hand. He poured almost all his money back into his ministry, 
particularly the parts that housed people and discipled them. But one of the appealing things about Keith Green is that although he was very no-nonsense, all-or-nothing, even abrasive at times, nobody questioned his heart. He got stuff wrong, but Keith was honest about his shortcomings. And he realized he was not immune to the struggles of following Christ. As he sang in the song, he'll take care of the rest. Nobody's perfect except for the Lord. Keith got stuff wrong. I mean, especially early on, he was very legalistic. He was a kind of fundamentalist in some of his views. And he admitted or confessed later, quote, I have a tendency to go too far to make a point and that he may have been too rigid in some areas, but his later albums and writings do show a, a softened heart and depicts more of a fellow struggler on the journey. As his wife Melody comments, quote, we saw our own compromising attitudes and coldness of heart at times. In his uh, song for my parents, he sings, I'm such a bad example and so full of pride. And these honest feelings can be felt in songs like, my eyes are dry, right? My eyes are dry, my faith is old, my heart is hard, my prayers are cold, and I know how I ought to be, alive to you and dead to me. And Keith's honesty is also found in uh, the song, You Love the World and You're Avoiding Me, in, in which he said, I wrote it as if the Lord was talking to me. So it was a personal song. And he says, my word sits there upon your desk, but you love your books and magazines the best. You prefer the light of your TV. You love the world and you're avoiding me. Or the song, Dust to Dust, right? Sometimes it's hard to see. Sometimes it's hard to get through to me. Sometimes I wander away, get lost in the dark. My faith starts to sway. I don't know what to do, and so I cry out to you. So despite his weakness, no one can deny Keith humbly sought to give everything to the Lord. More than a musician, artist, prophet, preacher, or any other title, Keith simply wanted to remem be remembered as a Christian. He simply wanted to use the gifts God had given him for his glory without asking for anything in return. And he often quoted the scripture, freely you have received, freely give. And Keith basically did nothing but give of himself, his music, his time, his money, his life. He gave it all for the kingdom. As he sang in the song, pledge my head to heaven, I'm your child, and I'm gonna follow you no matter whatever the cost. I'm gonna count all things loss. And he goes on in that song to pledge his wife, his son, and his family to heaven for the gospel. And on July 22nd, 1982, Keith tragically died in a plane crash near his ministry complex, along with his three-year-old son, Josiah, and two-year-old daughter, Bethany, leaving behind his infant daughter, Rebecca, and still-in-the-womb daughter, Rachel. 
but because of his total abandonment to serve the Lord. Keith Green's life, ministry, music, and legacy will continue to live on. And we can heed his call to give our all as in his song. Thank you for listening to our podcast. Be sure to connect with us on Facebook, Instagram, or YouTube, or download our mobile app for more content. If you're in the area, we hope to see you soon. Until next time, may the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ richly bless you as you live by His Spirit.